Welcome to Living Word Ministries with director and Bible teacher, Debbie Blank. Each week, Debbie examines current events through the lens of end times Bible prophecies. Please visit our website for information and past programs at livingwordministry.org. Now let's open our Bibles to focus on truths from God's Word with Debbie Blank. Who's your best friend? Where are they from and what's their background, their heritage, their family? What do they like to do? What's their calling or what's their character like? And their heart and their desires, their passions in life. Well, most of us could, at least hopefully, answer those questions about that person we spend most of our time with, whether it's our spouse or our best friend. But can we answer those questions about the person who wants to be our best friend? And that's Jesus. As we worship Jesus in song this last week, all I could think about was Jesus and everything he meant to me and everything he is and everything he's done. It was such a great time of worship. And I, I got to wondering, do others really know who Jesus is? I mean, we know that he was born of a virgin. We know some of the basics. But do we really know who he is? And do we want to know more about him? So we delve into his word to learn that. Or do we just have a casual friendship with Jesus where we don't dig deep and get to know him? He wants to be our best friend. So I'm Debbie Blank, today searching Jesus, searching his own words to see how we can make him our best friend and find out who he truly is. And I'm co-host Jackie Sailors. It's fun to think back to the time when you first met an important person in your life, like your spouse or your very best friend, and realize that at one time, right before that encounter, you were complete strangers. Do you remember what brought you two together for the very first time and what your reaction was? Did it take a little time or was it a love at first sight kind of a thing? You can probably remember the circumstances and the character qualities that began to attract you to one another. And sooner or later, you were eager to get to know each other better. So when it comes to when you first met Jesus, what was that like? And how much more is there still to know about the amazing Lord who loves you, who gave his life for you, and is the most important relationship you will ever have? As I think back on those questions that you're asking, I remember getting off of a bus that took us from the parking lot to our church one time. And there had been a woman on the bus that I just felt I needed to say hi to, but I didn't get around to it. So we get off the bus, we're walking into church, and right before we get to the door, I swung around, and I guess she tells me the story that I had this great big wide skirt that just kind of went in the air. I swung around and put out my hand and said, hi, I'm Debbie Blank, who are you? <laughs> We've been best friends ever since. So you never know how that relationship is going to start. How did your relationship with Jesus start? Probably wasn't that dramatic, but you never know. If you are born into a Christian home, then you probably heard about Jesus in Sunday school or in church. At least I hope you did. And mostly we're familiar with some famous stories like feeding the 5,000 or walking on water or some of those unique things, raising Lazarus from the dead. Hopefully we heard the gospel message in church also. But there are a lot of people who've never heard about Jesus except as a cuss word. They don't know who he is. And uh, they don't know anything about his life except that he's a religious figure. Some people say he's a great teacher, a great rabbi. Others say he's a false prophet. We say he's our Messiah, our Lord and Savior. But who really is Jesus? And do you really want to know? There's a place to get all the answers, and that's his word, and that's what we're going to talk about today. 
I do remember people who have told me that they know exactly the date and the time that they met Jesus. It was one of those circumstances where they'll never forget. Now, I was a little girl. He was just a part of my life growing up. It was part of just who we were as a family, who my mother was. Um, We always went to church. And so it was a more gradual kind of a getting to know him better and better over time and being tested at times in my life as well. We each have kind of a different experience and a different story because he comes to us where we are. He knows us and he wants to draw us to him. So we want to be helpful in that regard to help other people know who Jesus is. And we want to deepen and enrich our relationship with him as well. I, too, attended church every Sunday all my life. I knew the gospel message. I knew who Jesus was. I knew the basics of what I believed. And it was great. It wasn't until I was a young married that I realized that Jesus was not Lord of my life. He was a religious figure out there, and I admired him, but I'd never committed my life to follow him. I can tell you the date time, March 4th, 1974, in my mother-in-law's bed because we were house-sitting for my in-laws. I know exactly when it happened when that decision was made. But as you say, not everybody knows that. And not everybody knows who Jesus is. So today, we're going to explain some of the doctrinal issues as well as some of the practicalities of who Jesus is. First of all, we need to know that Jesus is 100% God and he's 100% man. That sounds strange because you can't be 200% of anything, but God can. So when he's 100% God, what does that mean? It means he created us. He created everything. More importantly, he loves us unconditionally because he's God and he is our creator, God. There is nothing we can do that can separate us from God until we die. At that point, if we have not accepted Christ as our Lord and Savior, we will be separated from him for all eternity. Until then, he was doing everything he can as God to draw us to himself. Because as God, he's again our creator. We know that because John 1.1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him. And apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. That tells us, knowing that Jesus is the word, that he is our creator. He was in the beginning with God when there was nothing else except God. So we know Jesus is God. He's equal to God because he said in John 10, 30, I and the Father are one. That's why the Jews put him to death, because they saw him as acknowledging that he was God. He is God. They just didn't believe it. It's pretty astounding to a Jew who was raised to be monotheistic. So that concept coming from Jesus Christ and the seven I am statements that we find in John, it alludes to the I am from Exodus in the Bible where God Almighty calls himself I am. Jesus Christ comes and says, I am, and then it's like fill in the blank. I am whatever you need. Just like Jehovah God, Yahweh, is I am whoever you need. He's the creator of the universe. When you look and John says, he created everything. Nothing that was created was created without him. That's pretty astounding. That was something when the first time I read that, I thought, wow, how can you argue with that? He, he has to be God. And as you mentioned, the Jews believed that there was one God, and we believe that too. Deuteronomy 6, 4 says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And our one God has three different aspects of him, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. 
They're all God, three in one. So Jesus is the what you might call the second person of the triune God. In Matthew 28, 19, Jesus told his disciples, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So he lists right there the three aspects of God that we know to be in the one triune God, the Trinity God. Jesus, as I said, is equal to God. He also has the characteristics of God. Nobody else on the face of the earth as a human or even in the heavenlies has these abilities. Satan cannot do this. Angels cannot do this. But Jesus is omnipotent. That means all authority has been given to him in heaven and in earth. He's all powerful, according to Matthew 28, 18. This is the key. He's all knowing. In John 1, 48, Nathanael said to him, how do you know me? Jesus answered and said, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nobody knows the past, the present, or the future like God. He's the only one that can write future in advance, as he does in the Bible, about prophecy, because he is all-knowing. No one else can do that but God. Jesus did that, proving he's God. Another aspect of God is his omnipresence. Now, how can we relate that to Jesus? Well, Jesus tells us in Matthew eighteen twenty, where two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am in their midst. Jesus is with us always, and he's with us through the Holy Spirit that he gives us, who is God. Jesus said that he needed to leave this earth so that he could send the helper who would live within us. We would be the temples of the Holy Spirit so that he can guide us all the time in all things. He's omnipresent in our lives. He's omnipresent in the whole world all the time. And he will be forever and ever. He is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. He's eternal. In John 8, 53, Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was born, I am. There's that I am statement again. And it's before Abraham. Well, that was a long time ago. Jesus was there because he's God. And as God, he's unchanging. We change all the time because we're human. But it says Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever in Hebrews 13, 8. And Jesus is 100% man. Now that's amazing, but he gave his godhood up so that he could be a man and live like us so that he could experience what we experience. He understands our nature. He suffered as we suffered. We know from Luke 1.35 that the Holy Spirit would come upon Mary and the power of the Most High would overshadow her. And for that reason, the Holy Child was to be called the Son of God because Jesus wasn't conceived in the normal way. God implanted Jesus into Mary's womb so that he would have a human nature so that he could be the perfect sacrifice for sin, the only sacrifice that would satisfy God for the sin of mankind. We know from Colossians 2.9, for in Christ all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. So he was human as well as God at the same time. And yet Hebrews 2.14 says, Since the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise also partook of the same, 
that through death he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is the devil. So he had to partake of our flesh and blood to be that perfect sacrifice. There's so much emphasis there on the fact that he was fully man. So it was Christ and the life of Christ that God put into human flesh. The Bible says he took on human flesh. So to me, that does explain why you can be 100% God, which God can do anything, and also be 100% man at the same time. And the necessity of that was so that he could die in our place. He could take death upon himself for our sake. We can understand that a little bit better from Philippians 2, 6 through 9 where it tells us that although Jesus existed in the form of God, he didn't regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. A bondservant is one who willfully submits themselves to do the will of God. And here he willfully emptied himself. That's called the kenosis passage, in that he emptied himself of his godhood. He could have stopped death on the cross. He could have stopped the tragedies in this world, but he chose to set those aside for a time so that he could live as a man and die as a man for our sins. It goes on to say in that passage in Philippians 2, but he was found in appearance as a man. As such, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So Jesus humbled himself, he submitted himself, he surrendered himself, he became a bondservant because he loves us so much, he was willing to die for us. He had a human nature, he had a human body. We know from John 1, 14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. So he, as God, became flesh. Aren't we glad he did? And the reason he had to die in the flesh has to do with the fact that God did not set aside the law and make an exception because he is just. So sin had to be dealt with the way he had said it would be dealt with. It deserved death. It was deserving of death. But what Jesus did was he took that death upon himself so that we didn't have to suffer eternal death. Before he did that, He spent 30-some years living as we live. He had physical needs. He was hungry. We know when he was tempted by the devil, it tells us after he'd fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he became hungry. Now, don't fast like Jesus did because that would kill us. But it didn't kill him. But he was hungry. He had those physical needs. He was tired. John 4, 6 tells us that Jesus, being weary from his journey, sat down by the well. He suffered So much suffering, we know, from the death on the cross and other beatings before that. He was intelligent, the most intelligent human being ever. He had a prayer life. Even though he was intelligent and he is God, he still prays to God the Father. In Luke 6, 12, he went up on the mountain to pray, and he spent the whole night in prayer to God because he needed to commune with God as Father in order to have the strength as a human to do what he had to do. The difference with Jesus and us is he was tempted in all things, but without sin. Hebrews 4.15 reminds us, we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who's been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Jesus had to be perfect to satisfy God's wrath over sin. He couldn't just be any human, 
He was like us in virtually every way as a human on earth, except that he didn't sin and we were born into sin. He wasn't born as humans are born, so he wasn't experiencing that sin. Didn't have to die for his sins, but we needed his perfect godhood, his perfect humanity to die for us. And what I love about that verse is that we have a high priest that can sympathize with our weaknesses because he came and experienced humanity. We can come to him knowing that we have a friend who understands us, who has experienced the kinds of things we've experienced. And just because he didn't sin doesn't mean that temptation wasn't great. He had to suffer temptation until he didn't sin. We often give in to temptation. We don't really know what it's like to go all the way through and be tempted and not sin in a lot of different areas. We have failed, but he has suffered through temptation to the point of not sinning. And so he truly understands what it's like to want to give in. He knows what that would be like because he lived with us and as one of us. Now, a lot of us know the doctrinal things we've just talked about. Do we think of Jesus, though, as our friend? What kind of a relationship do you want to have with your friend? You want to get to know him. You want to have things in common. You want to do things together. And that's how Jesus feels about us. He loved his friends. He loved his strangers. He loved them all. He loves us all. He cares for our needs. He cared for theirs. He healed the sick. He fed the hungry. He cast out demons. He showed his love to Mary and Martha when it says Jesus loved them as he did Lazarus. He showed emotion when Lazarus died. He wept. Jesus had all the aspects of a friend having a relationship with us on this earth but also as God and loving us more than anyone could ever love us, knowing us better than anyone knows us and still loving us. What a great friend that is. He has passion for us. He has a caring about us. He's perfect in the relationship with us. Does that mean anything to us? Does that make us want to have a relationship with him? I hope so, because he's pouring out everything of who he is to us all the time. I mean, right now I'm looking out a window at the trees and the greenery and thinking he loved us enough to give us those beautiful trees for pleasure, also for fruit, also for us to be able to breathe because we get our oxygen from trees. Everything, as I look at the clouds, I see the rain that we can get from the clouds and uh, all that God does to give us the beauty of it. It's all because he loves us. That's something that's so important for us to consider and to appropriate in our lives. Because if you think of a friend that you really love or that really loves you, that's a special feeling. It's a special relationship. And that's what Jesus wants with us. Sometimes we wonder that if our friends really knew us, knew everything about us, maybe they wouldn't be our friends anymore. And yet we have a friend in Jesus who knows everything about us, knows every thought, every temptation, every sin that we ever committed, knows everything and loves us and opens his arms to us and wants us to come to him no matter what the situation. That's just awe-inspiring to me to have a friend like that who knows you so well and loves you the best. And it tells us in Romans 5, God demonstrated his love for us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He loves us that much. 
So why did he come to earth? Why do all of this? What's the big deal? Why be God and become man? Well, we know the answer to that, and that is so he could save us. He came to earth because he loves us and wants to save us so he could spend eternity with us. John 3.16 tells us, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. That's why he came. 1 Timothy 2, 4-6 reminds us, Our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator also between God and man, the man Jesus Christ, who gave himself as a ransom for all, the testimony given at the proper time. Jesus is our mediator. He's our ransom. He desires that we're saved and we know the truth through him. So he gave himself as a sacrifice to pay the price for the penalty of our sin. First Peter 2.24 tells us that. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his wounds you are healed. Not by our wounds, but by his wounds we are healed. And we certainly know that nobody loves us more than God because greater love has no one than this than one lay down his life for his friends. That's what Jesus said in John 15, 13. That's what Jesus did for us. As you said, it's amazing to think that he'd do it for his friends, let alone for his enemies, those people who would never turn to him, even though he was willing to give his life for them. And there's a lot. But he's focusing on the ones who will come to a relationship with him. I'm so touched by the fact that he gave his life. And you think about people today who are maybe organ donors somebody who is a recipient of an organ, and how grateful they are for this life-saving gift that a human being has given to them. And they want to know that person. When you talk about being friends, they want to know either all about the deceased person who was their donor or the living person who was their donor. And so often those families get together because they have a special bond. So just think of the one who gave his life for us. Jesus did that for us. As our substitute, he died in our place, just like you're talking about. Second Corinthians 5.21 God made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. What a blessing we have to that open door to heaven that he has given us through his death and then through his resurrection. 1 Corinthians 15.50, the resurrection passage in Scripture, tells us that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of heaven. And yet, when Jesus rose from the dead, he opened that door so that we could have our spirits go up into heaven now and our bodies be resurrected with our spirits later on. Because the whole aspect of our relationship with God and his with us is he wants to have that relationship with us. He's not just this impersonal God who's living in heaven. He's done everything to open our hearts, to open our opportunities, to forgive our sins so that we can be with him forever. Now that's a friend. What a friend we have in Jesus if we will just receive him. Debbie, I was pretty interested in the fact that you just mentioned what a friend we have in Jesus. That was a hymn that I thought of 
when we started this topic. And it reminds me so much of my mother because he was such a friend to her and was with her through all the things that she went through in her life. And so I'm going to just read one stanza, but the whole thing is so beautiful. It says, What a friend we have in Jesus, all our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. What a friend. What a friend we have in Jesus. And isn't it great for us to know where he is today? He is seated at the right hand of God to make intercession for us. If we will go to him in prayer, he is our intercessor between us and God the Father. He's the one who can answer our prayers. Every prayer we pray, according to the book of John, is to be prayed in the name of Jesus. I read a verse earlier of how he is our mediator. He's our intercessor in 1 Timothy chapter 2. We can go to him with anything. And what's even more exciting is not only can we go to him now, but he's coming back. He's coming back for us because he says, I go to repair a place for you. And if I go to repair a place for you, I will come again and receive you into myself that where I am, you may be also. We are going to get to see him when he comes in the rapture for the church and then the world will see him when he comes to the earth to live and to reign on the earth as King of kings and Lord of lords. What a great time that's going to be. So Jesus has things he's doing right now to draw us closer to him, to be a friend to us in heaven, to guide us in everything we do. And again, preparing that place for us so we can spend all eternity with him. I mean, what better friend can we have? There's just nothing like Jesus. Because with Jesus, his focus is all about us. It's nothing about himself. It's about drawing us to himself so that we might experience the greatest abundance in life here on earth with him. And I don't mean getting lots of money and worldly things. I mean a relationship with him and this earth and then having eternity with him for all eternity. I mean, that's a really long time and how awesome that's going to be. I've thought about that a lot lately, too. Eternity. Am I just going to sit at the feet of Jesus and worship him all day? And as a, as a doer, as a busy bee, I want to be doing something. But you know what? That would be plenty for me as I see new facets of Jesus in heaven that I've never seen before. I tell you, we cannot have a better friend. Will you turn to this friend today? If you know him as your Savior, will you turn to him in a new way? Ask him to show himself to you so you can truly see him as the friend that Jackie's mom saw him as and as we see him. Now that you know a little bit more about Jesus and what we mean to him, what does Jesus mean to you? He's not a myth. He's not a figment of someone's imagination. He's not just another teacher. He's the God of the universe who created you and desires more than anything to have a personal relationship with you. He's done everything possible to get your attention, to be your friend, to open your eyes to his saving grace. The rest is up to you. Will you accept his invitation to have a relationship with him? If so, admit 
you're a sinner in need of a Savior. Believe in Jesus as your Savior and confess with your mouth Jesus Christ as Lord of your life. Once you do that with all your heart, you will have the greatest friend you could ever possibly have and the one that will love you the most and always be there for you. Thank you for joining us today on Living Word Ministries with Debbie Blank. This is a listener-supported show. If you'd like to support this program or contact Debbie Blank, you may do so at P.O. Box 540-003, Omaha, Nebraska, 68154, or visit our website at livingwordministry.org. Please tune in each week at this same time for Living Word Ministries with Debbie Blank.